uh, in a few minutes. Our second reading uh, this morning, as I mentioned, is from uh, the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. This is a story of abundance, of what happens in the presence of God in Christ. Listen now for what the Spirit is saying to you today. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from shore. Then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out now into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats, so that both boats began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. The word of the Lord. Amen. This is Luke's story of the call of the first disciples. Please pray with me. May the meditations of our hearts together upon your word to us today, O Lord, be acceptable in your sight and life-giving to us as your people. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Is abundance possible after you've fished all night, used every, used every trick in the book, all your years of experience, all your professional expertise and caught nothing, after you've been disappointed so many times, is abundance possible ever again? Is there any abundance for us personally, as a church, on the other side of this pandemic? I was so thrilled to see so many children here this morning. It's been months we've had that many But compared to what it used to be, it's smaller, right? Is there abundance ever again? It's a fair question, I think, to ask, to be honest about, after all the disappointments and challenges of the last two years. I think this text today, this story that Luke tells uniquely about the way Jesus calls the disciples, it's not the way that Matthew and Mark or John tell it. I think this text this morning helps us answer the question. Um, It is one of those significant fish stories in the New Testament, stories about how God calls to us, calls us to live and follow in the way of Christ, and about the whole purpose and goal of this enterprise that we're all involved in here. 
And right off, as we look at Luke this morning, I think it's interesting to observe that the basic format and content, content of this story at the start of Luke's gospel, the beginning of his story of Jesus Christ, that format and content are really replicated in the, at the end of John's gospel in a post-resurrection story of Jesus telling them to cast their nets out and they catch so many fish that the nets start to break and the boats start to sink. In both stories, which are placed by their authors in different parts of their respective gospels, fishermen, regular folks, just doing their thing, minding their own business, but having kind of lousy luck, catching nothing, hear Jesus say, hey, try putting your nets out again, one more time, just just try. And they do try, and suddenly they start hauling in so many fish that things start to get dangerous. There's so much abundance. So this this story used in different ways by different authors in our gospel and our New Testament, really, that tells us it's an old memory of the church. Jesus calls us to walk with him, these stories tell us, down the road from scarcity, from emptiness, from disappointment, from devastation even, into abundance, being filled once again. This is what the life of faith is, to move from feeling alone and bereft to feeling have this sense of being fulfilled and filled, and maybe even shocked at how beloved and at peace you suddenly feel from trusting and following Christ Jesus. Now this, as I say, as I talked about with the kids, is a fish story. And I've shared with the kids and with some of you in this place and in other worship services how I grew up, however reluctantly, because I'm adopted, I guess, in a fishing family. Wherever we lived in the world, and we lived a lot of places as a military family, my Air Force dad, who grew up on the coast of Washington State, would go fishing, often deep-sea fishing. Sometimes he would drag me out there. I did not like it. But he always came home with giant fish, fish in younger years, even bigger than me. My grandma, Hazelhorn, used to tell stories about struggling on the high seas alongside her husband, my grandfather, William Ted Horn, fighting to man all the lines on their little commercial fishing boat while whales surfaced right under their vessel. It did not sound like a good time to me when she told those stories. I get seasick looking at a boat. High school friends of mine in Washington State used to go up to Alaska in the summers and make tons of money, 14 guys living in a two-bedroom apartment working on fishing boats. One of my good friends and fellow football player in high school, really a great guy, was swept overboard, in fact, one summer when we were 19, never to be found again. Fishing to me, while necessary because I love to eat fish, isn't fun, but fishing is big business and fishing is no joke. How many of you ever watched Deadliest Catch? Things like that, right? That's the atmosphere of this story from Luke, if we allow ourselves to feel it as we read this text. So important in understanding what God is trying to say to us in Scripture is to get a sense of the atmosphere and the context. Just yesterday, I heard this fascinating radio interview on NPR about a new marine conservation effort designed to save uh, endangered marine species using green LED lights on gill nets. Anybody hear that story? 
So gill nets, which are exactly the same basic kind of netting used on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago, are not the kind of, they're not those round nets you toss out. These are nets that hang on lines. They're big walls of netting that go from nets that are floating on buoys at the top, and the nets just go all the way down to the bottom. They just catch whatever flows into them. The fish, the fishermen want, plus everything else. They trap everything in their path. Gill nets are still the number one way we get our food from the ocean today. Our salmon, our swordfish, but the problem is other kinds of sea creatures get caught in there as well, especially endangered sea creatures, sea turtles, sea birds, even certain kinds of sharks that need to keep moving to be able to breathe, especially air-breathing sea animals will get caught and either killed outright or they'll drown or be so seriously injured that they can't recover. Um, and this threatens ecosystems, not to mention the, the species themselves, all over the world. And the fishing is such a multi-million dollar industry, and we like our marinated salmon fillets so much that you just can't shut down gill netting altogether. So these scientists, and it's interesting, this scientist that they were interviewing is from Arizona. I don't understand how she gets even studies this, was talking about how they put these solar-powered green lights on the nets as they hang down, and this marine megafauna, these turtles and birds and sharks, somehow can tell by these lights, these green, they see green, so to speak, and they know to stay away. And they're starting statistically to find out this makes a big difference, and maybe there's a glimmer of hope, at least in that part of our environment. The fishermen Jesus meets in this story today, who would become his first disciples, used gill nets just like that, there were three main varieties of fish on the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago. There was a large kind of panfish, kind of like a flounder. There was carp, and there was catfish. Those are still the three main species in the Sea of Galilee today. Jews didn't and don't eat catfish, by the way, because Leviticus in our Bible prohibits eating anything that doesn't have scales or fins. But this is where Luke sets his story pretty early on in his gospel in chapter 5, after the Christmas story takes up the first couple of chapters, Jesus' baptism, his temptation, his, the beginning of his ministry, and now suddenly this story of this movement in the call of the disciples from scarcity to abundance. In Luke's story, as I've said, Jesus isn't just strolling on the beach meeting people and saying, hey, come with me, and then like robots, they get up and follow him. That's not how Luke sets this story. Here, Luke meets these guys sitting on the beach and commandeers one of their boats. They've never met him before. He says, go out here, let me, let me hop in and teach the crowds from the boat. So he does. And then after talking to the crowds who are on the beach from his boat a few yards offshore, Jesus tells Simon, who would later become Peter, to put out deeper and to toss his nets back in the water again. Let down those gill nets one more time to see if they could catch anything. And what I'd like to invite you to do here now is think about if you might remember last week's worship service where we focused on the call of Jeremiah. Think about how Simon, who would later become Peter, answers Jesus because the way he responds to this challenge, this call, this command of our Lord is exactly the same way every other prophet in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptural tradition, answers when God comes calling, when God 
asks them to step out of their comfort zone. Simon tries to get out of it. Simon says no. He makes excuses. He tells Jesus, Master, we've already tried fishing these waters. In fact, we fished all night and we've caught nothing. Simon has accepted scarcity as the bedrock reality of that moment. He is the voice of absence, of emptiness, of scarcity in this story, of hopelessness. We've already tried that. It's not working. Have you ever felt that way? And not just about fishing? But then, this is what's different compared to even last week's reading from Jeremiah. Then Simon adds, we've fished all night, Lord. We've caught nothing. I don't know why you're asking me to do this, but... If you say so, I'll try one more time. I don't think it's going to work, but because you're asking me, I'll do it. He listen us down again. There's that moment of intimacy, of trust, of the willingness to risk. Not because it's reasonable, but because of the love, the connection that somehow Simon feels in that moment. And he's willing to try. We know what happened. We know about the incredible catch that results. But if we pause back to that moment when Simon agrees to do it, you get this sense of how Jesus calls us. He calls us not through rational explanation, not through a a PowerPoint presentation of all the good reasons why we should do whatever it is we're being called to do. He calls us through love. I mentioned last week the Sunday school teacher who once worked in one of my churches, my Colorado church, that used to tell the kids in Sunday school, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. Simon somehow senses that in this moment, I think. He senses something about the presence, about this person whom he's just met, even in the midst of his frustration, his exhaustion, his sort of you know, humdrum routine. We had a bad day. It's going to be a bad week. We're not going to have enough to eat. I'll have no fish to sell. His skepticism. And he goes ahead and puts those nets down just one more time because of who Jesus is. At the heart of the scene in Luke this morning is Jesus' call to his first ever followers to leave their nets and to leave everything behind, which, which is what they do, and give themselves to the work of his kingdom, to the work of love, of gospel, of forgiveness, of service, of care. And here, those early disciples do it because, Luke gives us the reason, they do it because Jesus is someone they can trust. And because his abundance, which he promises and then brings to them, answers all their questions, all their uncertainties. Remember, the call to Simon, the call to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ruth, Naomi, the call comes at a low moment. It always does. When our guard is down, when we've exhausted our other resources, when we are facing scarcity and emptiness, there are no fish. For a fisherman, that's a problem. Andrew, Simon, James, John, no fish, no food, no fish, no money. Will they ever catch what they need to survive again? You don't know when you're having a bad run. 
Will they ever come back? When you're in a time of scarcity like that, when happiness is hard to come by, it's hard to tell, it's hard to know. You start, your mind starts racing, you start questioning yourself, you just wonder. Yesterday everything was fine, yesterday things were good. But today, all of a sudden, these guys woke up as unsuccessful Jewish fishermen in a podunk part of Israel that no one in, even in Israel cared about, in a country occupied and dominated by the Roman Empire. They're having a bad day. We can relate. Well, this bad luck, will this pandemic, will this bad stretch we're in ever end? Stretch is a good word for it. Will this virus ever stop mutating, stop spreading? Will this constant conflict and polarization and fighting in our culture, in our country, in our world ever cease? When will justice and fairness be done and the wealth of this world shared more equitably? When will that happen? And what about you, personally? What about me? When will I ever be happy again? When will this remorse, this guilt, run its course? When will there be abundance and peace once more? I wonder sometimes. We wonder sometimes. Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they wondered. And that is when Jesus calls us. Not when we've straightened everything out and got everything under, in, under control and in order. Not when you've cleared your schedule, when you've gotten that last commission in. It doesn't work like that. Again and again in Scripture, he calls us right in the middle of the mess of whatever challenges and frustrations and disappointments and worries threaten to take over our lives, maybe feel like they have taken over our lives, that's when the voice of God comes. The God who loves you does not and will not wait for your circumstances to change before you feel that love, before calling you to follow and be close to Christ and to be part of the spreading of that kingdom of love. God doesn't wait for things to calm down or for you to get on top of your problems before the voice and the claim come to you. God calls your name, asks you, asks me, to put out from shore and to try that thing that hasn't been working. Just try it one more time. But this time try it because I love you. To cast your nets in a place you've probably tried and failed at least once, if not many times before. The call of Jesus Christ is not one of calling from struggle to just simple, perfect peace immediately. That's kind of a shallow promise anyway. I love what Fred Beekner says. Christ never promises peace in the sense of no more struggle and suffering. Instead, Christ helps us to struggle and suffer as he did for one another. Christ does not give us security in the sense of something of this world, some cause, some principle, some value, which is forever. Instead, he tells us that there is nothing in this world that is forever. He does not promise us unlonely lives. His own life speaks loudly of how, in a world where there is little love, love is always lonely. Instead of all these, the answer that he gives, I think, is himself. If we go to Christ for anything else, he may send us away empty, or he may not. But if we go to him for himself, 
I believe that we go away always with this deepest of all our hungers filled. This text this morning from Luke tells us, reminds us, assures us that Jesus does not promise to change our circumstances. He promises to change us. And it starts with you and me saying what Simon said. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's not going to work. I've been trying. But if you say so, if you say so, Lord, I'll let my nets down one more time. That's how you're going to find abundance again. That's how we're going to find abundance again after this pandemic we're going through by trusting that the voice of Jesus, the experience that it gives us is something worth sharing, that sense of being loved, that sense of being respected. What a wonderful, wonderful answer that was this morning. We can share that. We can give that even when we've got nothing else, even if the numbers are dropping. And we can trust that there are going to be other people as hungry for that sense of being loved and respected and cherished and cared for as we are. Our mission, should you and I decide to accept it, starting today, is to show people the same love that we've received. To show them our joy in the abundance God has already shown us more than once. And that's what it's going to mean for PCUM to fish for people from this moment forward. To see these pews filled again. It was so great to see you kind of flowing in this morning. Kind of like old times. It's kind of emotional to see our classrooms noisy again, our coffee hour buzzing again. That's one of the things I miss most. This has the most vibrant coffee hour, this church, of pretty much any church I've ever been to. It's been almost two years. This is not an easy path, this discipleship, this path of following that we are on, the path of trusting, of putting out our nets, forcing ourselves to lift them. They're heavy after mending them and then tossing them out one more time, when scarcity and disappointment and anger and meanness seem to be winning the day so much of the time. But it's always the surest path to a better day. Discipleship and willingness to try one more time because of love. Many years ago, the great explorer, Sir Francis Drake, was attempting to recruit a crew of young men for an upcoming exploration. Sir Francis Drake gathered them around and told the group that if they came with him, they would see some of the most marvelous things that their eyes would ever see. Sandy white beaches, juicy fruits, foreign peoples, priceless treasures, and gorgeous landscapes. And he told them that this wild adventures could be theirs if they came with him. Not one of them in that group signed up to enlist for Sir Francis Drake's journey. The next day, a different group of guys was there, and he tried it again. But this time, Drake told them that if they came with him, they would encounter storms that would terrify them to tears. Tiger winds would hammer them and blow them off course for months. Water would frequently be scarce. At times, they would be so thirsty that their very souls would cry out simply for one measly drop of water. In short, danger and scarcity would be their constant companions. Drake concluded his sales pitch by declaring that if they could handle these things, 
if they could handle them, the joys of this exploration would exceed their wildest dreams. Every single one of the men in that group joined up and followed Sir Francis Drake that day. Some didn't even go home to say goodbye to their families. They just boarded the ship and got to work. What was the difference? What made the difference between these two groups? Why did the first group turn down the mission and the second one jump at the opportunity? Was the second group different and more adventurous than the first? Probably not. It wasn't the men, the people who were different, it was the message. The first attempt spoke of reward and the second spoke of challenge. The first offered comfort, the second promised suffering. The first tempted them with things and the second persuaded them with a potential experience like none other. I like to think that somehow, maybe, Sir Francis Drake had Jesus in mind when he did this. And he knew what Jesus knew all too well, that the path, the pathways that are offered to us really have to promise to shape us somehow, to build our character, to deepen our souls, to change our worldview, if they are to have any allure or appeal for us at all. Because all of us long for that kind of change, not just a change in our external circumstances that our problems will be solved. We long for a challenge that will change us, deepen us, and in so doing, fill us. And when we get that opportunity, like those disciples, we are going to be eager for the journey. And may God bless us as we go. Amen.